Today's scripture reading is at Luke chapter 19, verse 28 to 44. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethel and Bethlehem, oh, sorry, sorry, Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as, as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw the cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread the cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only knew, known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment amongst you, against you and encircle you and hem you on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, church. How many of you guys are excited for camp next week? Okay, I hear. Is that a sarcastic laugh, KP? I don't know. <laughs> I'm excited. It's been so long since we've had a camp. Um, and I'll plug that in a minute. Um, but can I just plug Life Group coming up on the 21st of May? Um, we've actually got a special guest, um, one of our great friends, Tim Wong. So he's actually an ex-Rice um, um, Vic director, I guess you could say. Um, so he'll be sharing about our faith and money, I guess, session in the 21st of May. So please come. Um, we talked about offering. We talked about stewardship. We talked about, you know, how we ought to give our all. Um, but sometimes we need to know practically how do we do that. How can we be faithful with the money that we have, okay? Quick plug. But anyway... Why don't we pray and we'll get started with this. Father God, um, as we look at Palm Sunday, as we look at your triumphal entry, Father God, may you open our hearts, open our ears to be able to hear your word, Father, but just to remember during this Easter season just how great you are, the sacrifice that you made, the majestic story of your coming, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So today we celebrate Palm Sunday, and it's weird. We remember and celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. I'm sure you've heard, um, for some of you guys that we into Sunday school, knowing Jesus, writing a ducky, all of this. But, you know, to be able to go through this verse by verse and help you to understand what it truly means for you, not just the story of someone putting palm leaves in the ground and everything, but what this actually means. I want to um, explore this. So if you can turn with me to your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, and we'll go through 28 to 44. Thanks, Jen, for reading that. Um, otherwise, if you don't have your physical Bible, I give you permission to open it on your phones. Please don't multitask. Please don't answer notifications. Just your Bible, okay? Because during this Easter season, right, it is so easy for us to be distracted by many things, by holidays, by chocolate, by whatever it is. But I want you to focus on this just for the next half an hour, okay? So it says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So what what did Jesus say? So he just finished sharing the parable of the ten servants and the ten minas, so money, about the true nature of his kingdom and what our true mission on earth should be. So he is now on his way to Jerusalem, and this is during Passover, okay? Um, And towards the end of Passover, Jews would make an annual spiritual journey to the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate their freedom from slavery from Egypt. Um, The Wall Street Journal actually gives a good example of how busy it would be. Imagine that you are at a boarding gate for a flight to Israel several days before Passover as passengers gather to travel to Jerusalem in time for the holiday. Men and women are jammed together. Children are crying or laughing or temporarily vanishing. Now imagine that more than 250,000 families have assembled and that each family unit is accompanied by one living sheep and that everyone has to camp out for a week in the tournament before finally boarding the plane. That's nuts, right, to think of how busy it would be there in Jerusalem. I hadn't had time to do slides, but actually, if you look up actually Jerusalem, you look up Passover and look at just how crowded that area is, there is there's not even a, like you could just, there's all these dots of people. It's just completely crowded even in today. Um, but comparing this to Jesus' time, Jerusalem would have been filled with more than 2 million Jews. 2 million, okay? Like crazy, it's nuts. Everyone would make that pilgrimage once a year to Jerusalem. So you'd think this, you know, everyone's here, this is the most perfect time to come and show yourself as Jesus, the Messiah. So we know that Jesus has been on the way to Jerusalem for some time now. However, we also know how popular Jesus was and how much the Pharisees hated him because of this. And Jesus knows that he is going to Jerusalem to die, not to take power and become king on earth as his disciples expect. If you read through Scripture, you'll notice that Jesus says to many after his signs and miracles to not tell people about who he is. It was not the right time. That was why. The time was right. It's now. Now is the time. Now is the time. Everyone is here. But, you know, church, we knew what was coming, like the beginning of the end, um, you know, like a movie or, or a TV drama or a series or a K-drama scene where you know the main character will die, but you don't know exactly when that will happen. You know something's going to happen. But the Bible records his journey to Jerusalem for us for a reason. Let's look at verse 29. 
as he approaches Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. Now, we hear about this Mount of Olives a lot in the Bible. It's a hill outside of Jerusalem with significant importance. Let's look at other parts of this was described. You know, it's where David and his followers fled to when he lost Jerusalem. It's where King Solomon performed idol worship. It's where Jesus' triumphal entry starts, which is what we're talking about today. And it's where Jesus shares to the disciples about the destruction of Jerusalem, the future suffering, and the second coming of Christ. And it was where Jesus prayed, was betrayed and arrested. And also in Zechariah 14, it is where Zechariah prophesies about where his second coming will be, in the same place at the Mount of Olives. So if we think about all of this, it's kind of like the climax of the story. You know when there's a climax of the movie and you're kind of at the edge of your seat. This is it. Okay, here we go. Everything is ready. The stage is set. Bring it on. See, let's see what's going to happen. I want to stop here for a second, though. Think about if you were in that same position to reveal yourself as the Messiah. Obviously, we know how the rest of this passage is, right? We know what happens. But if I was the Messiah, I'd probably come in guns blazing, ready to topple the Roman Empire, be praised as king with an army of chariots and horses, with loud trumpets, ready to show this Roman Empire and everyone who's boss. I'm here to rescue. I'm here to take over the world. I am your king. Here we go. But what does Jesus do? How does he prepare his journey to Jerusalem? Verse 29 to 33. I'm going to read this bit out. He sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you'll find a colt, it's like the donkey tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. So much going on here in this little this part of the passage, okay? First, a donkey, okay, a cult. A donkey. This is how Jesus is going to be coming into Jerusalem. A donkey, not a horse, not a chariot, not with rings of fire or anything, but a donkey, okay? How is this going to show the power and the authority of the Messiah? But you see the donkey is actually a symbol of peace, of humility, service, and suffering. It's showing everyone who he is and how he has come to save them. You know, donkey was used just for civilians back then too. So a good example of being one with those around him, like a lowly servant on a donkey. Not only that, but actually a donkey was also to fulfill Zechariah's prophecy in the Old Testament. Zechariah 9 verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay? So, it's already been prophesied. Here, we have Jesus riding on a donkey. Take note of this, remember. Passover, remember, will be filled with people. We talked about two million Jews. And we would think because they are making this pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they would be reading the Bible, they'd be reading the Scriptures, knowing what would happen. So, you would think, okay, they should know, Zechariah 9 verse 9, that there is this 
person riding on a donkey. So people should recognise your king riding on a donkey. God had shown them what they should look out for. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is that a donkey no one has ever ridden. What's the point of that? We, if I give you an example, a donkey was a prized possession back then, okay? Let alone never ridden. It's, um, let's think about this. It's imagining you have a brand new BMW or a brand new iPad or a brand new iPhone. It's still in the box, still with plastic and everything, and you're just giving it to them. That's straight away, okay? You've got that BMW you've seen in Instagram and everything. They've wrapped a bow and everything. The car's being presented to you. Hey, take it. That's it. Go. The fact that it was an unridden young animal at Passover likely meant that it was set apart for sacrifice, just like Jesus. Animals to be sacrificed to God were never used for anything else, and they were to be without spot or blemish. The first fruits, not something that had already been used and was ready to be discarded. So that's number one. But number two, if we know what happens with unridden animals or horses or whatever, or training puppies... Um, or anything that you know is very new, we know that it can be difficult. So an unbroken donkey is cautious, wary, and uneducated. They won't move until trust is established. Fear causes them to freeze, not stubbornness. Um, I'm a dog lover, okay? So I, I remember trying to walk uh, my in-law's cat and I'm like, I was trying to drag. I'm like, why is this cat not moving? This is not fun. Dogs would like, follow you all the way. It's kind of like that. There's stubbornness. There's, like, they, they, there's, there's not enough trust. They, they want to trust you. But an unbroken donkey isn't much of an asset until someone invests the time and patience required for breaking through relationship, not force. Jesus is here to reconcile creation to himself, just like the unridden donkey We come to God in fear, fear of what he might ask us to do, fear of punishment and judgment. But Jesus came to bring us to himself in relationship, to build that relationship. And number three, the disciples just grab the donkey without without permission. And the owners ask, what do you need, Mike? Why do you need? Why do you need it? The Lord needs it. There's no arguments. That's it. You need it? Okay. That's it. The disciples did exactly what was asked. They could have said, can I borrow it? Uh, uh, Let me tell you why the Messiah needs it. All of this. They could have explained a bit further, but it is a symbolic in understanding that what is ours is God's. We talked about offering. We talked about tithes. We talked about what belongs to God. What we have, he can taketh away. The Lord needs it. There is a sense that God has authority over everything they, and in fact, we own. And it's the idea that we can't take that brand new iPhone, that brand new iPad, that brand new car into heaven. The idea that we should not be bogged down by the worldly treasures, desires, and understand the bigger picture that he has for us. Do we view our things and our lives in this way? the prized possessions? Do we use our things and our lives in service to the kingdom of the one true king? The things that we've been given, are we willing to use that wisely? And it's having a Christ-like perspective 
on what our time and our possessions on earth are truly for. Have a think of the things that you have and how you use it for God, or maybe not for God. We're all guilty of that. So we have this donkey, okay? This donkey now in hand. Take it. Okay, so what happens now? Verse 35 to 38. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were praising God. They put their cloaks on the floor. It's like a king's welcome. You know, some may recognize a sign that God gave them to look out for. And they put palm leaves on the floor, which symbolizes victory, triumph, peace. Here is this king coming. I, I guess you could sort of um, compare it to in today's world, like the red carpet. We're, we're welcoming celebrities. We're having star-studded performances next to them to welcome them. But it's way more than that. This is not just a VIP, it's not just a celebrity, but it's the king, the king of kings. You know, songs were sung to him. Blessed is the king. You know, they would be praising and worshipping God, but here they said, blessed is the king. They knew this king was here. Matthew's version of this event in 21, uh, chapter 21.9 says, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now this is interesting because Hosanna actually means please save us. Please save us. Save us from this. We have people Desperate to be rescued in their suffering, to be accepted by this King of Kings. They remembered his miracles, raising Lazarus from the dead, everything. They remembered and they praised God for all this. And I want to stop here just for a second because here we have a loud, large crowd of the disciples praising him for what he has done. You know, are we able to praise God in all that he has done in our lives? Every day, like I know the day-to-day, the, the, how it can overwhelm us, that one exam, that one work colleague, that one difficult moment, that one difficult family member. These things can be unsufferable every single day. And I know we can get overwhelmed with things. And I remember one time I was so overwhelmed with life. I was so frustrated um, that I felt like everything was going wrong. Like, that's it. I just, I just can't deal with this anymore. Have you, how many of you have felt like that before? Yes? Well, very quick hands. <laughs> okay? I felt it too. You're not alone. And you think as a pastor, right? I trust God. Praise Him for everything He's given me. Thank you, God. You know, it's not too hard. No, sorry. I'm, I'm just like you, okay? But the funny thing is, it had to be one of my own kids telling me, Daddy, it's okay. Remember to pray. Thank God and trust Him that He's taking care of us. Everything will be all right. I'm like, oh God. And adult me, the, there was a side of me that said, you know, you have no idea what I'm going through, daughter. You have no idea how hard this is. Don't tell me to God and trust him in all of this. But she was right. And that's the thing, right? We, we get so fixated on our own struggles 
on our own insecurities, self-absorbed in what we are going through, that we can't see God at work. Yet we have people in Jerusalem in persecution, knowing the Pharisees are just there plotting to kill Jesus, willing to praise God for what he has done. Sometimes in our life we just need to breathe, zoom out, thank God for what he has done for us and find rest and hope in him in the midst of those trials, in the midst of those darkest moments to just zoom out and thank God. We sometimes just need, like the Jews, to break out in thanksgiving and praise, to remind us of his love, his unconditional love for us. Our perspective changes when we zoom out. You know, when you look at a photo and, you know, it, it's, it's really too close and you zoom out and you see the bigger picture, we need to be able to see God's bigger picture in our life. So then we move to verse 39 and it says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So the Pharisees were getting uncomfortable, right? With someone with so much popularity and power, like, oh, okay, we better do something. This is, this is not okay. Like, we're losing control of this place. And then in verse 40, we see that, you know, it's for Jesus. Now is a time for Jesus to be praised, to be acknowledged. No longer did Jesus ask to not mention his name, to keep it quiet. Now, remember I said, the scene is set. Now is a time. Now is a time. It's that triumphal entry. Go, praise the Lord. So much so that the stones will cry, that nature will cry out. That if they keep quiet, the trees, the stones, the birds, everything will cry out in praise of our God. See, it's think, you think that's it, you know. He's Jesus. He's here to save us from the Romans, from my suffering. Please save me. I know you're going to do everything. But remember, he's riding on a donkey. He's coming here for peace. He's not coming here with chariots of fire, with guns blazing. Let's look from verse 41 to 44. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. You have this praising, you have this excitement, you have this joy. And then you have Jesus weeping over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you on every side. That sounds horrible. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. They recognize him as king. You think that's great, right? Awesome. Fantastic. He's here to save. They recognize him as the Messiah, the savior of the world. But here's the really sad bit is that no one understood what type of Messiah Jesus was meant to be. Remember how I said at the start that, you know, there are all these people coming to Passover, coming to Jerusalem, the 250,000, I mean, the 2 million Jews, you would think that they would know their scripture. They would know Zechariah. They know about the prophecies. But, you know, they want 
Jesus to overthrow their oppressors and rule as their Jewish king. They want to be saved from the Roman Empire. They expected him to save them from their current suffering, their current oppression from the Roman Empire. They thought he was going to be a physical, political king on earth, ready to conquer the Romans with armies and all his will and might. But God wants to save them from eternity. They didn't understand what type of peace he would bring. Okay, we have the prophecy in Zechariah, like I said. We also have a prophecy in Daniel 9, verse 24 to 26. Daniel said that it would be 483 years on the Jewish calendar from the day of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the day the Messiah would come to Jerusalem. So we have all these prophecies. We have all these signs. We have everything ready, set for the stage. But Jesus came for a bigger purpose than that, and that's a free them spiritually, not just to look after your current situation, your current physical needs, but again, zooming out, understanding beyond that, your entire life, your, 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 your life on earth, beyond death. He came to bring peace to mankind. You know, people thought it was through swords and force. However, it was their inner peace, their soul. This was far, far more important. You know, if I, could, if, if I could give up everything in the world to make sure that I was this close to God and that I, I would be able to just, you know, nothing in, like, I, w- I would say probably the, let me start again. <laughs> I would say that my children, I would give up everything for them to have that life in the same way to be able to forget about everything that we have and lose our soul. No. It was the inner peace, their soul, that was far more important. Even them, the disciples, didn't understand. They didn't understand any of this until Jesus' death and resurrection. So Jesus wept and cried out of frustration, not for himself, but for Jerusalem. Because he knew of the destruction that Jerusalem was going to encounter. Under Roman Empire, there was a siege of Jerusalem, including the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. He knew all this. So it's funny, we talk about this as the triumphal entry, right? So actually, the triumphal entry is mingled with Jerusalem's untriumphal failure to recognize their God in the flesh. Let me say that again. So actually, the triumphal entry is mingled with Jerusalem's untriumphal failure to recognize their God in the flesh. But God allowed all of this to happen to us. To us. I said earlier, it's the beginning of the end. Again, Palm Sunday is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. However, it's also a reminder of also the end of suffering we will ever have to experience. Okay, the eternal suffering, the uncertainty of what's going to happen after this life. Sure, we have our earth pains, our frustrations and everything, but eternal suffering, no. The assurance that we know that God is in control, we have a God that loves us unconditionally. I want you to think beyond this current 
struggle that we have. Can I just ask the music team to come up? That'd be great. I've got this quote that I want to share with you um, from Mick Gillespie Mobley. It says, at the heart of Palm Sunday is Jesus' desire to bring peace, peace into our lives and to be willing to carry whatever burdens in life that are weighing us down. But the only way Jesus can complete his desire is for us to allow him to march in and take over without having to fight us all along the way. Have you ever told God, you can march over there, but don't come this way because I'm not yet ready to surrender. Wherever Jesus is not fully welcome in our lives is where the real battle is taking place for our attitudes. We're doing all kinds of things, hoping to find some peace. But God is saying, until you get your attitude together right here, you shall never, you shall not have peace as you seek for it. This eternal peace. We all have that one thing, right? That we don't want God to touch. That we're too scared to surrender. So church, I want you to remember as we start this Easter season, sure, we have a long weekend. We have holidays, we have food, we have drinks, we have company, we traveling interstate or overseas, going to beautiful holiday houses to stay, great. We have Easter eggs, we have the sales that are going to happen. We have school or uni holidays. We can enjoy this Easter holidays, great. But let's remember, God had the ultimate plan of sending His Son to fight the final battle over death because of Christ's ultimate sacrifice. We can be set free of death. But that's only if you choose to believe. Only if you're willing to submit. And this is where I start to plug about camp. Now, how many of you guys are going to camp? Just quickly, put your hand up. (laughs) It's a lot of you guys. That's awesome. For those that are still deciding, I want you to hear this. Because... When I was a youth at camp, um, that was when I truly accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. This is when I was 15 years of age. I was born in a Christian family. I knew all the Bible stories. I, I you know, sang songs, all that kind of stuff. But it was until I was 15. How many of you guys were 15 here, by the way? The 15-year-olds are too scared to put their hand up, or either not listening. But anyway, <laughs> like I knew it. I knew how to pray. I knew how to read the Bible but I didn't really know this relationship with God. And I don't want you to let him pass by. Like what happened here. That here we had the, had, had the triumphal entry saying, please save us. And they didn't truly recognise who this God was and what he had come to do. And I want you to know what this God has come into your life for. I'm going to ask you guys to put another hand up. How many of you guys actually accepted Christ at a camp, at a church camp before? Just put your hand up. A few of you, okay. Can I tell you, like, church camp are the moments where God just just works. He breaks down walls. Where you're just, you know why? It's when you're separated away from the distraction of the world and it's just between you and God and your life, face to face to say, God, I surrender. And that's what happened to me when I was 15. The struggles that I went through. 
like the, the insecurities that I had. And I said, God, just, just take it all. If you want to find out more, you're going to have to come to camp. I'll tell you the story then. Um, but God works in camp. But not only that, but He works and He is working in your life if you choose to believe, if you choose to accept, if you choose to let go of yourself and all the things that are holding you back. Are you willing to be set free from death, from your suffering, from your difficult situations? Do you want to know, to live, to breathe this peace that surpasses understanding? Do you want to live with the assurance that all things will end up good because God is good enough and powerful enough to make it happen? He can make it happen if you choose to believe. And allow Him in, truly allow Him in. Don't just come on a Sunday and sing songs and pray and and then leave it there. But truly let Him into your life. Let Him bring you His peace in the midst of your suffering, your current suffering, your current attitude, your current bitterness, your current anger, your disappointment, your battles. Let Him fight for you. Let Him give you rest when you feel like you can't find rest. Come to Him. Let go and let God praise Him in all things, not just the easy things, not just the things that we're willing to let go, but all things. Allow Him to have His way because He loves you so much. He died to give good to every single one of you. He's the God we can trust with more than our lives that we can ever imagine. Why don't we pray? Father God, again, it's so easy in this Easter season to focus on holidays, to focus on time away from work and school and and everything, God. But we, may we remember this God that we can trust in, in all things, in all situations, in all sufferings, in all disappointments, in all battles, that we can continue to praise You day in and day out to know that You are still there with us, that You have given us eternal peace We may have physical suffering right now, God, but it is You that is able to keep us from falling. It is You that is able to give us peace beyond all that we can ever imagine. To know, Lord, that this is a life worth living. To know that this is a life worth surrendering to, God. That there is more life than our time here on earth. God, You are above it all. That God, we can surrender. We can give our all to you, lay down our burdens. Because God, here we are saying, please save us. Save us from this earth so that we can have this eternal life with you. In Jesus' name.